0: Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you in December of 2023 with another edition of... Film, Literature, and the New World Order? (laughs) That's right. For longtime Corbett Reporteers in the crowd, you'll remember that I used to have a podcast called Film, Literature, and the New World Order, where every month I was looking at a book and or movie and discussing it, usually with a guest, but sometimes by myself, and talking about it and its relevance to real-world events, etc. You might remember that podcast, but it's been several years since I discontinued that podcast. You might remember that in 2019, I had a special surprise edition because inspiration struck, and I did a special FLNWO number 42 on Aesop's Fables, and if not Well, this is a good time to acquaint yourself with that section of the archive, because I have a lot in the archive on that, Uh, specifically 42 episodes of this podcast. Well, here's number 43. Surprise! Yes. Um, In this case, I was recently asked to appear on a podcast, namely the Big Puff Podcast. And if it's your first time hearing about it, well, I will invite you to go explore the link, which I will leave in the show notes for you to um, check out that podcast. It is by a fellow Canadian and they recently invited me on to talk about Conspiracy Theory, that 1997 action drama starring Mel Gibson and uh, Julia Roberts and Patrick Stewart, a.k.a. Captain Picard. Yes, (laughs) it's an interesting movie, and there's a lot to say about it. And this is, interestingly, it's exactly the kind of movie that I probably would never have chosen to cover on film literature in the New World Order because it's a little bit too on the nose. Oh, conspiracy theory? But <laughs> but it does make for an interesting conversation, as you are about to hear. So, I am about to share with you this the audio of this conversation. Once again, please do support the Big Puff podcast and thank them for making this possible because, as I say, I probably would never have done this just on my own, but Here we are. And so, surprise, special FLNWO number 43 for you. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Big Puff Podcast, coming to you from the shadow of the bomb, Quebec, Canada. My name is Lex, and my co-host is Beach. What's up, Beach? Oh, dude, I am super stoked, man. We have uh, someone uh, really special on today. I I call him a master truth teller. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Black belt truth teller, maybe. Sure, yeah. The one and only James Corbett joining us all the way from Japan. Welcome to the Big Puff Conversation, James.
0: Well, thanks for having me on. I've
1: never been called a black belt before, but I'll try to live up to it. My man, we're still white belts. So that's why we're super happy to be talking to a black belt (laughs) in the podcasting world. Um, most of our listeners will probably be familiar with who you are in your website but in case they aren't I'll just do a, a quick little intro here James Corbett is um you can find him at the CorbettReport.com and it you describe your work as open source intelligence news is that right James That is correct How how would you describe that 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 moniker open source intelligence news So Back in 2006,
0: when I was just starting to think about the possibility of maybe I should start a podcast, I was um, browsing the news and I came across a story. I think I can't remember anymore. I think it was in the Washington Post. I think I maybe I still have it linked up in my about section. Anyway, I, I should check into that. But uh, I came across a story about the the CIA and the intelligence world and the CIA was opening an OSINT int. Station or whatever they call it um, open source intelligence and the the premise is that most of the really useful actionable information that the intelligence agencies get doesn't come from super sleuth James Bond's being dropped behind enemy lines and listening in with fancy devices. No, most of it comes from information that is openly available through open sources. Back in the day, TV programs, radio broadcasts, etc. In this day and age, obviously, a lot of it is just stuff that is freely published online. And I was sitting there thinking, well, if it's good enough for the CIA, well, why don't we turn that around and put it to our own use? Because it's why p- perfectly open information that's out there and available for everyone, and I certainly can 't do it all myself, but if enough people get together and start doing this actively, we can essentially be our own intelligence agency or at least subvert the idea of of the intelligence agency so that that was part of the founding ethos of the corporate report and what I do is basically i i 'm not pretending to be some sort of super sleuth with inside sources trust me bro uh, I am just looking at stuff that's openly available and trying to bring that to the public's attention.
1: Amazing. I love it. And most people will um, know you for um, your coverage of certain topics like 9-11 truth, um, the police state, geopolitics, propaganda, fifth generation warfare, things like that. Um, But I think a lot of people are unaware that you're actually good at um, other things as well. You're very good at uh, interpreting and analyzing literature and film. And anybody who checks out your website will find a whole bunch of content on things like a- a- Aesop's Fables, Joyce's uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, and even film analysis of things like Rambo 3, uh, The Prestige, The Purge, Daredevil, um, even Contagion and They Live – and so I thought, man, if we're going to have James on, let's, let's maybe go into that territory a little bit because he's, um, he's really good at that stuff too and we can have some fun on it, some fun with it. And so I asked you if you could come on and we could talk maybe about um, a movie from 1997 called Conspiracy Theory. And so that's, we'll do a little bit of digging uh, into that movie tonight. Now, Conspiracy Theory is a, uh, a Warner Brothers film from 1997, It has big names in it like Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts and Patrick Stewart, but it didn't do very well at the box office. I don't even know if it made its money back, but I think it's still um, a very valuable film to analyze. I think there's a lot to unpack there. What do you think, James?
0: I'm going to dispute you right away because uh, from my research, I found it was the 19th highest grossing film of 1997. It definitely seems to have made its money back and more.
1: Okay, my mistake. And do you think that there is a lot to unpack in the film?
0: <laughs> there certainly is. Uh, we can take it in some deep directions. Uh, uh, up front, yeah. I'll just say as a movie, I thought it was a, just a horrid piece of trash, just <laughs> nonsense, <laughs> Hollywood romance, shoehorned garbage with crap story writing. But <laughs> in terms of the, the the themes that it raises, I think there's some things to ponder. Okay, where would
1: you like to start, James? Well, hold on, what about Patrick Stewart's uh, fabulous performance?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cap- when Captain Picard shows up and starts torturing him in the wheelchair—that that, <laughs> what a what an interesting storyline. And the the most interesting part is well, I guess we never really determine or find out who this. Uh, Uh, the Patrick Stewart character who he really is working for the real structure of it. But I, you know, Mm -hmm. he claims at any rate to be CIA. And I'm just wondering why the CIA are hiring Brits now, but who knows who cares, whatever. And why do they get their man in charge of this entire operation to be the one who's actively personally torturing this, this lone nut guy. It's just (laughs) Uh, anyway, as I say, there's things to be, uh, to, to be uh, desired in terms of story writing, but, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's probably interesting and fruitful to examine this from the context of the nineties. And for people who weren't there, I was, uh, there was definitely a sort of an uh, undercurrent of conspiracy popularization of conspiracy thinking in the 1990s. That was probably best exemplified by, the X-Files, of course, it was the time that the X-Files was dominating the airwaves. And I will, as I have revealed once or twice on the podcast, I will uh, once again shock people who haven't heard this before. I have never, to this day, never seen an episode of the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, have I heard about it. So anyway, I think this is in that same milieu of the pre-9-11 1990s just as people were starting to get online and there are some references i think in the movie to the idea of that kind of independent underground media being a propagation channel for these crazy conspiracy theories that people are gonna start hearing about in a lot more detail in coming years and uh, i think this is part of that that really really early edge of the the wedge as
1: it were Mm. yeah they even hint at it in one scene in the film where uh, the Mel Gibson character, Jerry Fletcher. And we can talk about why he's called Jerry Fletcher maybe, but he's a taxi driver. And there's one scene where he's listening to the radio and it's talk radio. And it sounds like conspiratorial talk radio. And they're talking about JFK and uh, Lee, Ar- Lee Harvey Oswald. But I was wondering, did you have any insight into why Mel Gibson's character, first of all, they portray him as a taxi driver, number one, because they could have had him being any anything, right? Why have him be a taxi driver and why call him Jerry Fletcher?
0: You know what? I, uh, until you asked that question, I didn't even consider the name Jerry Fletcher. And I'm trying to rack my brain right now if there's any particular um, uh, relevance to that. The one name that I did pick up on was the uh, offhand reference to the um, billionaire who drowned in the subway, uh, Harriman. Harriman, which yeah. to my mind brings up Brown Brothers Harriman and the whole you know Nazi funding connection. Um, which I I was assuming was a a knowing reference by the script writers. But uh, Jerry Fletcher, Fletcher, I'm trying to think what what relevance that
1: name has. Well, I did a little bit of digging and there was a there was a whistleblower from inside the CIA who was portrayed in uh, Oliver Stone's JFK movie as Mr. X. And his name, his real life name was. Oh, yes,
0: Fletcher Proudy. Ah, of course. I, you know, I just released an old podcast because I did a podcast on Fletcher Prouty years and years and years ago. And literally just a few weeks ago, I, I flashed back to that and, and reposted it to my website. And I still can't even think of that connection. Fletcher Prouty, of course. People might not know. Yeah. The, the real life inspiration for Mr. X in the famous scene from JFK, where Mr. X is telling uh, Garrison all about, um, what could have happened, how the plot would have worked and uh, the military slash intelligence connections behind it. And uh, in real life, Fletcher Prouty was kind of the liaison between the Pentagon and the CIA for special covert operations and did have insights into the JFK assassination and a lot of other things besides. So yeah, I never connected that dot. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and there are several uh, references to JFK that we can get into uh, throughout the show. And just coming back to to Jerry Fletcher's first name, the only thing I could come up with was Jerry. He mentions Geronimo a lot. Mm. That was the that was the one thing I came up with. But I also liked the choice of uh, Mel Gibson to play the role of Jerry Fletcher. He does that kind of madman, manic type personality very well, right? He is Mad Max after all. He Riggs. is. Yeah. He's Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon, which is also a Richard Donner film, right? This is a Richard yep. Donner film. And uh, also William Wallace, right, has that kind of uh, crazy look in his eye at times. So I thought it was a good casting choice, at least, even though it's, uh, you're right, it is a very cheesy film.
0: Yeah, but uh, is it even casting? Is it even acting is the question? Because um, <laughs> a lot of people have have brought this up. And obviously, I think people didn't know in the 90s, quite so much about this, but subsequent events revealed that, oh yeah, Mel Gibson is kind of a crazy conspiracy theorist. And there uh, there are some interesting hints of that. So in preparation for this conversation, I went trolling through the uh, the GooTube universe for making of and behind the scenes and interviews and what have you about this movie. And the constant theme that everyone was hitting on in these various interviews and behind the scenes kind of footage was, Hey, J- Mel Gibson isn't even acting. He was born to play this role. It's, it's like they just wrote Mel Gibson into this because mm-hmm. apparently he is very much that manic kind of um, personality and also quite a conspiracy theorist. So I, I think that might have had something to do with why Mel Gibson, who people might not remember was a big deal star back in the nineties, um, would have taken on a project like this. Mm -hmm. And um, for people who really don't know, um, I recall uh, it's been many, many years. It must've been over a decade now, but I recall hearing Mel Gibson's father being interviewed on the Alex Jones show. Um, And I'm not going to remember all the details about this, but his father was, it is like a Catholic, but against the Vatican kind of Catholic. Um, since Vatican II and all of that, the schism in the church and all of that. So I think that definitely informs Mel Gibson's worldview and where he's coming from. But yeah, I think from what I hear, this is not so much of a stretch for Mel Gibson to play this character.
1: That would make sense. And if we switch to, uh, his co-star Julia Roberts, right. Who was also a huge star in the nineties and her name is Alice Sutton. Did you consider maybe why they called her character Alice Sutton? Again, I didn't even think, because I really didn't give
0: the script writers enough credit to even think they were doing anything here. Um, Alice, I mean, uh, my first connotation would be Alice in Wonderland. And then Sutton, I, I often reference Anthony Sutton, who, of course, was a another conspiracy researcher slash whistle, whistleblower from back in the... 70s time frame 70s 80s um, mm-hmm. who wrote some really important work on Wall Street and the rise of uh, and the Bolshevik resolu- revolution Wall Street and the rise of Hitler Wall Street and FDR etc those are probably the, his best known works but he did a lot of research in state department archives and stuff bringing that kind of stuff to light that is my immediate um, thought when i think of the name sudden unless you had some other avenue no. there.
1: No, that's where I was going to. And don't forget Anthony Sutton's book on Skull and Bones, which is referenced yep, several yep. times in the film, right? Like, that's right. He's wearing a Yale sweater, right? And then yep. there's the myth of Geronimo's skull being housed in. Right, uh, right,
0: right. I didn't connect that dot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I Sorry, went, I should let you
0: finish your sentence for the listeners. Yeah. No, <laughs> that, oh, apparently, right. the Skull and Bones have Geronimo's skull and uh, that they had dug up and taken for their collection there in there. Whatever That's, they call it, the coffin at Yale.
1: Yeah, the, 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 the crypt, I think they call it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, I actually, I took the trouble to read the, the script for Conspiracy Theory. And they actually changed her first name. In the script, it was Liza Sutton, but then they adjusted it to Alice. And I think you're uh, connecting it to Alice in Wonderland, I think is apropos, because she kind of does go down the rabbit hole a little bit during the film. Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean it makes sense. <laughs> I guess th- that's probably most of the thought that they put into the script. I won't bash on the script too much, but I just thought it was so cheesy the way they made it into this ridiculous love story. Oh my god, this crazy psychotic stalker guy is breaking in and mumbling random nonsense to me. Oh, I'm so in love with him. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. so it, yeah. Anyway, but okay, here. Here's where we get into the good stuff. So I I hope people see the movie and sort of have an understanding of what we're talking about. But I'm going to direct you to where the real action is. So I found this thing that was posted literally two weeks ago to YouTube. I hate saying YouTube. It's ThemTube. The Making of Conspiracy Theory, a behind-the-scenes featurette. History is Ours. Uh, That's the name of the channel. So, okay. I I just stumbled across this in my research. At the time we're recording this, it has 40 views, so I hope your listeners will increase that number, and I think why not? Let's make it so everybody translate your comments into Norwegian and then post them in the comment section of this uh, video, so that uh, and and make it about um, I don't know, uh, Elvis's alive theories or something just to really confuse whoever owns this History Is Ours channel and make them think they're onto something. Anyway, it, it is apparently some kind of behind the scenes featurette that was produced or I, uh, presumably around the time of this film's release. And I don't know any of the details about exactly how or why or when this came to be, but it's a bizarre, is really interesting. Um, it's not only got uh, Patrick Stewart and Julia Roberts and others on camera talking about conspiracy theories and everyone has a conspiracy theory they believe in and that kind of stuff, but it also intercuts with, genuine conspiracy theorists as they would uh uh, call them like um like dave emery who people might know as one of those radio conspiracy radio broadcasters from from back in the day back pre-internet times and uh continuing on um uh talking about uh obviously uh cia and those kinds of connections and what they're up to christopher ruddy talking about the vince foster suicide quote unquote um there's another researcher talking about the black helicopters phenomenon, and this is all intercut with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts and stuff. Like, It's such a bizarre little featurette, but it's it's interesting and revealing about sort of where this was coming from. Again, in that sort of, I will say, more innocent time in the 1990s when conspiracy theorizing could still be kind of a seen as just an eccentric, kind of fringe, weirdo, kind of harmless, funny topic. I would very, very... Well, actually, I wouldn't, but I, I'll say i very much like to see how they would treat this exact same subject matter in 2023, because mm. y- you know they could not make this movie like this in 2023. It would have a very, very different tone.
1: I agree 100%. Yeah. L- largely, I look at the movie as uh, a limited hangout. I don't know if you got that impression as well, James, because if yeah, I... Oh, yeah. If I go back to the beginning of the film, right? Um, actually, I want to go back to the, to the end of the film. There's a line at the end of the film where, uh, uh, Mel Gibson's character, Jerry Fletcher is in the back of a car with these two intelligence agency agents and they have faked his death at this point. Right. And he's working for them now. He's working for the good guys, the white the hats white we're hats. told. Right. And one of the agents was actually the man in the wheelchair earlier in the film that was selling him newspapers every day, right? And he thought he was just a Vietnam vet who couldn't walk, right? And the man, his name is Chip, he says to him, I guess nothing was what it seemed to be, huh? Mm. He says that to to Jerry Fletcher. And that brings me back to the first scene of the film where they show the Warner Brothers logo the way they do it. And it turns out that it's actually um an advertisement on the side of the bus and it drives away right so right from the the, the first seconds things aren't what they seem to be and that that, yep. that that theme of deception kind of weaves its way through the film well to, to my
0: mind that that gestures in the opposite direction that rather than a limited hangout this is one that's trying to show you that hey there's th- this you're being deceived there's things that that aren't what they seem and mm-hmm. um another thing that would point in that direction would be for example um where, in in character, of course, Mel Gibson directly calls out Oliver Stone for being part of a limited hangout with JFK.
1: Yes. Right? You know, yes. I think that's
0: interesting in and of itself. And what does that say about the production of a, a a movie like Conspiracy Theory itself and what it's telling us or not telling us? All of that, I think, again, is to give the movie way too much credit. I think it was really just a, a kind of brainless Hollywood schlock. Having said that, at the very least, I suppose you could make the argument that it probably did introduce some people to the concept of MK Ultra. which in mm. the context of this movie, uh, I think people who don't know anything about MK Ultra would just assume it was just some sort of fictional thing they're talking about in the movie. But anyone who bothered to research it might actually stumble down a bit of a rabbit hole if they really go into it.
1: Yeah, I was surprised to see them mention MK Ultra by name as well. Not once, but a few times. Right, we have a connection uh, out here.
0: Uh,
1: in yes, country. in Montreal, uh, right?
0: I think uh, maybe uh, Patrick Stewart's character was uh,
1: maybe uh, Ewan Cameron.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking because, of course, he uh, they bring up when he is introduced and and Julie Roberts' character is talking to him for the first time. They're, uh, he's. Specifically, oh, I didn't know this CIA had psychiatrists. And he said, oh, we're we're highly specialized. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, you and Cameron.
1: Mm. And he also, Jerry Fletcher, uh, he drives a taxi, right? That made me think maybe that's a reference to Robert De Niro's right. uh, taxi driver. Right. right. And then I was thinking there's also the catcher in the rye, which mm-hmm. plays a role in the film. And yes. I, I dusted off my copy of the of catcher in the rye. And there are actually two scenes where holding Caulfield rides in a taxi. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really see any connection there. Hmm. Maybe I'd have to reread the whole book, but I thought it was curious why, why have him be a, you know, a cab driver of all things. They could have had him be anything, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, I guess so. I, I wonder if there's any significance to it really. Yeah. I picked up on the taxi driver connection with De Niro, but I didn't, I didn't see any other particular reason for that other than what else would a rambly kind of psychotic person be able to do to support themselves in a somewhat plausible way in new york city oh he's a cab driver sure why not um Mm -hmm. but but at any rate yeah i i thought it was uh, again quite humorous how i guess the cia is watching for anyone buying a copy of catcher in the rye so that they can immediately spot him and then send a helicopter in to helicopter people into the bookstore (laughs) with guns blazing uh as part of their secret operation that they're totally keeping under wraps it's
1: (laughs) it's definitely great writing guys yeah, it's definitely preposterous. And it, it, I'm glad you bring that up though, because there's a JFK connection right after that scene. After he leaves the bookstore and he's bought his latest copy of Catcher in the Rye, he and the, the black helicopters descend into the city and, uh, you know, the agents are looking for him. He ducks into a, a movie theater. To yes, try and right.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And yes, yes.
1: that's a direct right. reference to Lee of Harvey course. Oswald.
0: Of course. Lee Harvey Oswald ducked into the theater. And... Was, uh, then of course arrested there and taken out the front or was he taken out the back? There's a whole, there's a whole rabbit hole there as well. But anyway, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. And then he gets out by saying, there's a bomb under my seat. And immediately every single person in the theater runs out. (laughs) I don't know. I got to admit, if I was in that theater and somebody next to me was saying, there's a bomb under my seat, I'd be like, what kind of ridiculous joke are you trying to tell here? I don't think I'd be immediately running out. But also, I guess, I mean, I'm sure that the script writers were not thinking about this, but we could also connect it, uh, to the, uh, the Levon affair, which was these false flag uh, attacks that were taking place in Egypt in the 1950s, um, committed by Israeli agents, um, intelligence agents, um, that were designed essentially to create chaos and havoc to try to keep the Brits in, in, uh, in Egypt, um, instead of leaving and uh, anyway, that's a whole other rabbit hole. But it, part of that involved um, s- some agents uh, planting bombs in uh, movie theaters and other places in Egypt in the 1950s. And one of the uh, the assailants uh, accidentally set off his essentially his underpants bomb a little bit too soon and ended up getting almost killed himself in the process. And ultimately, okay. died. so anyway that that uh, that connotation also came to mind when I was watching that.
1: Okay. I, I know very little about that, but I have heard of like the underwear bomb meme and I never knew where it came from. Now I understand. Well,
0: well th- theoretically, the underbomb meme meme um, comes from, uh, Oh, I'm going to forget his name, but uh, there was the, the, there was the shoe bomber in uh, yeah. 2002. Right. Yeah. Um, but there was, um, there was another incident in 2009, I want to say, or seven or eight or somewhere around there. And, I mean, a- again, uh, 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 crazy patsy who was being shepherded onto plane, uh, onto an airplane coming down in, I want to say Detroit and uh, was unable to successfully light his underpants bomb. So
1: there's, there's, there's numerous references to that. (laughs) Oh my God. It's too funny. Uh, coming back to the MK ultra, um, it's there's a bit. It's it's a little bit revelatory because it's it's in one of the first scenes where we get a sense that he has been programmed to a certain extent, right? He's driving his taxi around, and he stops and he's in front of like a road construction crew, and they're doing some welding and there's flashing lights that mimic right. kind of strobe light, and that kind of triggers him, right? And he yeah. um, he uh, switches personalities or something. I don't know how you would describe that. And so that's the first hint we get, and. The movie also suggests that the military, it acts kind of as a funnel for these programmed assassins. Like it, the movie doesn't come outright and say it, but there are hints at it that he was in the military, right? Like yes. on his fridge, there's a magnet for like a POW MIA flag right. that was, mm-hmm. and then all the way back, all the way at the end of the movie, when Alice Sutton, the Julia Roberts character is visiting his gravesite, there's a temporary, um, plaque or tombstone and on it there if you freeze frame you can see that that uh jerry fletcher was a sergeant major in the marines Uh and so i think it's quite revelatory that you know when it comes to mk ultra that the military does act to kind of funnel people into that
0: Mm. yeah i did not pick up on that um yeah okay again it seems plausible although If we're talking about MKUltra, like, for example, in the Canadian context that we alluded to earlier at the Allen Memorial Institute of McGill University, it was Donald Ewan Ewan Cameron, who was running the the Montreal experiments uh, for the CIA, um, where he was testing his psychic driving concept um, by basically torturing people. Those people were not military subjects. They were just ordinary citizens who'd come in for all sorts of things. I mean, like yeah. amnesia, uh, urinary incontinence and all sorts of things. And
1: marriage uh, counts. Yeah, even.
0: exactly. Anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. and yeah. and they end up being tortured um, by you and Cameron. Absolutely despicable. So uh, in, in a way, maybe that's, maybe that's part of the limited hangout. They want you to think, oh, you know, it's, it's the troops. They were doing this to the troops. No,
1: no, 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 no. They were doing this to ordinary people. Hmm. Very good point, James. And then when we do get that that cheesy scene with uh, uh, Patrick Stewart torturing Mel Gibson, he's using um, classic MKUltra techniques like water torture, strobe lights, injections, right? Which is oh, LSD. Yeah. Pulling the skin yeah. out. <laughs> right? Yeah,
0: it was a little scary. Yeah, and it, you
1: yeah. know, I, I watched Conspiracy Theory a couple times and that scene with the forced injection, it, it made me think about um, what you would call, James, the, the scamdemic mm. and how millions of people maybe billions of people even though they had watched countless hollywood films of horrible uh forced injections right depicted mm-hmm. forced mm-hmm. injections and yet people just lined up willingly right i found yeah. that so strange that we've been conditioned to fear needles and yet then on, on the drop of, the, of a dime um people were clamoring for for needles <laughs>
0: yeah no you're you're right about that and I, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't even, I don't play one on TV, but I will say there is, there is obvious, I mean, the idea of a sort of an innate, inherent fear of needles makes sense because it is the most obvious and dramatic and literal breaking of your skin, breaking of the barrier between you and the outside world and injecting you with some substance. It is inherently something that I think people um are, uneasy about. And so it is a a great, if you need a quick sort of someone being tortured and violated in a horrible way that you can show in a Hollywood film, that that's probably the easiest visual shorthand for that. Um, And it makes sense immediately to the viewers as a thing of terror Um, put into the medical context though. I think people actually, probably a lot of people derive a sense of satisfaction out of that, that, you know, this is a, this is a horrible and invasive thing, but I have to do this in order to get better. I, I think people embrace that to a certain extent. And in a weird way, it the fact that it is upsetting is upsetting—is actually works in its favor, in a sense. Once people have committed themselves to mm. undergoing that process, I think they decide, oh, this is my... This is my decision. I'm taking this under my control. And it becomes almost an act of affirmation for them. Anyway, that's my two cents armchair psychology for you.
1: Mm. Mm. No, I think you're onto something, James, because I don't know what it's been like in Japan, but in Canada, even though the the madness has subsided, you still have um, these COVID vaccine junkies walking around just waiting to line up for the next. It's like they're junkies.
0: 14th booster. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm related to a few
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: uh yeah I, I wonder how matthew perry's doing last time i saw he was uh, sporting some kind of can i be any more vaccinated t-shirt <laughs> right what a kidder i wonder how he's doing i'll have to check up on him
1: mm-hmm. Canadian. and did
0: you see online mm, yeah and he beat up uh, justin trudeau by the way <laughs> <laughs> you ever hear that
1: story <laughs> we certainly did yeah <laughs> and speaking of t-shirts and justin castro uh, Justin mm-hmm. Castro was just uh, on online and on TV this week getting his latest booster. And he was wearing a T-shirt that read vaccines cause adults. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. perplexed by that turn of phrase <laughs> vaccines cause mm. adults. <laughs> you know, okay. For whatever. whatever
0: you say, Mr. Prime Minister.
1: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, So sticking with uh, uh, the conspiracy theories that uh, Jerry Fletcher is spouting throughout the movie, I don't remember if this is in the film, but this is definitely in the original script. There's a scene where he's talking to Alice Sutton and he says, "Uh, the more I strip through the sham, the crazier I look to people like you. Can't you Mm. see that's what they're counting on? And I thought that was a super interesting quotation from the script.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't recall that being in the final film, but it might have been slipped in there. But at, at any rate, I think that is the sense that they are going for here. Um, it's it's a weird fine line that they walk, because obviously, when we are introduced to the Fletcher character, he is meant to be... Uh, Crazed lunatic like whoa, you know but he's also going to be this the protagonist of the film, so how do you how do you walk that line and it has to come from the fact that he that he is misunderstood and clearly unable to communicate, but there's clearly something he's got something i mean it's, something's right, and it's a weird uh, uh, one example of how they try to walk this line is um when they get cut to the montage of him making the uh, conspiracy theory newsletter that he makes for five subscribers. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, And he's cutting out the headlines and what have you. Um, In that particular montage, the music that they use is really upbeat and quirky and fun. And, Uh, again, if they were making the 2023 edition of this movie, you know it would be this dark ominous, like, oh, this is the the creepy conspiracy theorist at work making his weird concoction. But in this case, it's kind of like fun and lighthearted. So, as an audience, we are meant to identify with Jerry Fletcher, even as he comes across as this obviously psychotic to everyone else. That's Mm -hmm. the way that they're interpreting him. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so I, I, I... I don't remember that line, but it would have made a very, a much better line to, to insert in there because that in a way treads that line in, um, in the way that connects it to the, the theme of the movie. The conspiracy theorist is actually right and everyone else sees the reality as being crazy. Because it is crazy. I mean, that's the underlying part of all of this. And in fact, that is amplified throughout the movie. Not only does it turn out, uh, oh yeah, he was actually the subject of this experiment, human experimentation in this MKUltra program. But it turns out he was even right about NASA trying to assassinate the president of the United States. That's just kind of like thrown in there as an offhand, oh, she sees on the TV that, oh yeah, they really did cause an earthquake trying to kill the president. like, And that, that's never explored again. But mm. oh, it turns out he was really right about everything. Mm.
1: Yeah, and that's that's kind of where the that's why I, I kind of consider it a little bit of a limited hangout. Because if you were to like rewatch the film and make a list of all of his conspiracy theories that he talks about, mm. a lot of them do ring true yep. to people like you, me, and yep, Beach. Yep, 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 yep. But then they get, end up getting thrown out uh, like yeah. the baby with the bathwater.
0: Yeah, right? because of course there are some in there that are obviously stupid and just. I mean, I I would say ridden for a lark, but according to IMDB trivia, take it for what it's worth. Apparently that opening montage of him driving around and telling people his crazy conspiracy theories. Apparently that was Mel Gibson ad-libbing and improvising. They just went with it.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I I like when he, when he talks about Oliver, you already mentioned it, Oliver Stone and George Bush, right? But he says in the film to Alice, he says uh, about Oliver Stone, uh, he 's their spokesman he 's a disinformation yeah. junkie and then the 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 key line for me is, do you think if someone had the info he has and a national podium that mm. they 'd let him do it yeah exactly
0: and and again, I think that is a moment where the at least the thoughtful you know, viewer of this movie could turn it on this movie itself. Well, then why, why am I seeing this Hollywood production about conspiracy theory? And what is it not telling me? So I, I think that's the best that they could probably do in a mainstream Hollywood film to at least draw attention to the fact that, hey, you're probably not going to get the truth in a mainstream Hollywood
1: film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. To me, all, all major Hollywood films are psyops. If, if intelligence agencies like the CIA and the FBI are featured, they are part of the official storyline in a film. They are part of it because they have approved the script. To me, that's Mm -hmm. how I, that's how I make, I make that calculation. I don't know what you think, James.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not talking about some little indie movie that's seen by a hundred people and that's funded, you know, by some guy's paycheck. We're, we're talking about productions that are funded to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars by production teams that are obviously, uh, I, I, we don't even have to speculate about for example, CIA ties to Hollywood. Um, we know that they exist. We know the CIA has a liaison officer that uh, that uh, talks to that works with film productions uh, in order to create CIA approved essentially scripts like was created for The Good Shepherd and any other sort of you know Hollywood portrayal of the CIA now. Uh, I I I don't know of any actual CIA cooperation with this particular film. I would assume they probably would not have participated in this particular film precisely because MKUltra is named by name and is brought to viewers' attention, which I think they probably wouldn't have wanted in a mainstream Hollywood movie in the 1990s. Um, all of the other aspects of limited hangout aside, I think that alone is probably something that they probably wouldn't have wanted to talk about. But then again again, as I say, this is part of the 1990s conspiracy theory culture, um, Mm -hmm. that uh, there were some interesting things happening. For example, remember Enemy of the State? Certainly. Yes. What year was that? I can't remember off the top of my head what year, but I'm I'm thinking that was 99. Um, At any rate, uh, same era, same vintage. Oh, 1998. Okay. And uh, a, a Bruckheimer film. For people who haven't seen it, that was the NSA conspiracy theory um, way before Snowden and brought a lot of interesting things to people's attention, including the existence of the NSA, which was still um, a relatively new revelation at that time. I can't remember when they first officially were brought to the public's attention, but it wasn't so long before that. Obviously, they had been around since, uh, I don't know, the 1960s or whenever, 50s, who knows. But at any rate, um, they they were not part of the the uh, the public's, uh, it, it, they were not in the public spotlight until, I think, the 1990s. And then you <laughs> already have a movie like Enemy of the State talking about how they can track you, uh, uh, record your phone calls, know everything that you're talking about, and track you down to the individual. Uh, again, there were some interesting revelations that were happening in the 1990s in these mainstream pop culture venues, X-Files, conspiracy theories, Enemy of the State. And It does lead you to question, well, why? Exactly as Jerry Fletcher says in this, if, uh, uh, do you think they'd have a spokesman with an outlet like this who isn't controlled? So there has to be an outlet, uh, an aspect of limited hangout to it. But what's, what's the payoff to that? Why would they want something like enemy of the state or even conspiracy theory to be made?
1: Well, I, I can answer that. I think, I think I can sum it up with that it, it's predictive programming. And to me, predictive programming operates on two levels. One is to desensitize you to whatever the, the storylines or the themes are. But the other one is to render them, um, to put them in the, in the realm of the impossible, of fantasy, right? Once, once someone has been entertained by enemy of the state or conspiracy theory, then after the fact, if you try and tell them that this, this stuff is actually happening, in their mind, they're like, no, that's impossible. That's in the movies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There is definitely an aspect of that that goes on. And and m- the paradigmatic example of that was what Kubrick slipped into Dr. Strangelove. Um, what year was that? 60? I don't know. 64? Something like that. Um, and what was the crazy, insane general talking about? What was he afraid of? fluoride in the water of course the the damn soviets are fluoridating fluoridating our water supply and and Mm -hmm. that has become the paradigmatic punchline. like oh my god he's one of those crazies who thinks they're fluoridating the Mm -hmm. fluoride in the water is a bad thing oh my god you know you must have you must have seen dr strange love and that's become the example that people continually go back to and you'll note in Mel Gibson's opening dialogue here, or tirade, uh, he does mention the fluoridation conspiracy. So there you that's go. Perfect. I think that's an early an early signal to the audience. Oh, you know, this guy is crazy, like uh, General Jack D. Ripper.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%, James. Absolutely. There's also an interesting scene in the movie where Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts are riding a bus and... Julia Roberts slash Alice, Alice Sutton asks, Jerry, who are they, right? This is the quintessential question, right? That all researchers get. Who are they? Why do you keep saying they, right? Yep. And he says, he answers, well, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of letters, right? A lot of, a lot of acronyms, CIA, FBI, IMF. But then what he says after, I find interesting. He says, there are the same two opposing factions. One is really wealthy families who want to maintain stability. And two is Eisenhower's military industrial complex who want to maintain instability on some levels. They're at war on other levels. It's the same group. It's hand in glove, cold wars, hot wars. They sit back and watch the whole damn dumb show. (laughs) And so he's painting this picture of white hats and black hats. Right. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that.
0: Actually, that's not how I'd interpret that because, um, yeah, if you're talking about billionaires and people who like the status quo trying to maintain stability versus the military industrial complex trying to foster instability, that doesn't necessarily mean that the billionaires are the good guys in that. I think it just means that they like the status quo as it exists. But that would assume that if is the status quo a good thing? Is stability of say the I don't know, the the World Economic Forum sort of stability that they, they envision for the transhumanist future of the you know World Economic uh, the great reset in the fourth industrial Revolution is that is that really a good thing so I don't think that necessarily makes it a white hat black hat situation um in fact you know what I re- I specifically remember him going you know CIA FBI uh, IMF because I remember mm-hmm. IMF sticking out to me as like really well no I don't think any conspiracy researcher would put them high on the list but um but that that next part yeah I must admit that washed over me I didn't really think about that in fact that's That's not a bad way of putting it. I think there is an element of that. And I think there are there. I I suppose at what level of sort of the grand agenda or scheme are you looking at? And there is absolutely an order out of chaos grand stratagem that is employed certainly by the military industrial complex and others um, to create and foster tensions and strife in order to bring their own sort of order um, with all of the monetary, let alone. Um uh what am I trying to say power related um benefits that accrue to those who are creating the instability and then providing the solution, but there is an element I think of a faction that does appreciate the status quo as it exists at least in terms of relative stability, providing a perch on which some of these mid level stratum uh gophers essentially of the new world order agenda would like to continue to perch and so i think that's not actually a bad one. i'm not sure i would disagree with that framing
1: yeah well i actually i think we're in agreement uh james because i look at the white hat black hat thing as as a psyop itself right yeah, The modern, yeah the current version of it being trump and q yeah yeah of course uh, and yeah. trust the plan right yeah, which is, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah yeah which of course who are the big white hat saviors in the q id universe it's the good guys in the nsa the good guys in military intelligence the, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah,
1: yeah. I, i'm so glad you brought that up james because that's a point i really wanted to hit home tonight which is that this film conspiracy theory really uses a tired trope of the bad apple is responsible for mm-hmm. all of Yep, yep, right? yep, yep, Dr. Jonas, right? Maybe named after Dr. Jonas Salk, inventor of the polio vaccine. I'm not sure. Mm, but mm. Dr. Jonas, uh, a.k.a. Patrick Stewart, is the bad apple. And once they can round him up, then the white hats, the good guys will put everything back in place. Jerry's working for the good guys now. Audience members go back to sleep, right? Yes, and he- yes. Of course. And
0: that's the Hollywood way of putting a nice bow on it. So don't worry, guys. It's fundamentally, it's a good system. It's just that you get the bad apple. And again, that's exactly like enemy of the state or any other number of these types of movies. It's the, there is a couple of people on the inside that are wreaking havoc, but don't worry, we'll get them taken care of all done and dusted. But I would again say that the film deconstructs itself in that, two second aside about oh yeah and by the way there was this earthquake that almost killed the president (laughs) it which indicates again that no no there's really it's not just a couple bad apples there's really a a much bigger conspiracy at work here but again it's just such a throwaway line that i don't think it even realizes how much that deconstructs the entire narrative
1: Mm. very interesting this movie also made me think of the, uh, the Jason Bourne movies. I find there's a lot of overlap between those as well, because you've got in Jason Bourne, you've got this, um, MK Ultra assassin who's trying to figure out what has happened to him, just like Jerry Fletcher is. And again, it uses that same trope of the bad apple, right? Who started this off the books, um, you know, uh, yeah, off-the-books project, right, with these secret assassins. And as long as we can, you know, round him up, it'll everything will go back to normal.
0: Hmm. You know, I, I must admit, I, the Jason Bourne connection didn't even occur to me because the, of the drastically different tone and style. And I think the Bourne movies, for whatever else, were actually quite well-made. So I never, and it didn't connect it. But yeah, I suppose just bare, bare bones, basic story-wise, yeah, it's the assassin trying to figure out, you know, what happened and how he's been used. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, like Jason Bourne, like his name, right. I think there was a Jason group or a Jason program mm-hmm. or something. Um, I looked into a little bit, rather right? like a group of scientists and academics, um, and then Bourne, like, like reborn, right. 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 Um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about conspiracy theory, James? we definitely, uh, Definitely giving it, it a good beating.
0: Yeah. <laughs> We've we put more thought into it than the script writers. No, um, <laughs> uh, no uh, uh, it, it is an interesting film to look at as a time capsule, I think, of that 90s era of the way that conspiracy theorizing was introduced. I mean, uh, let's put it this way. I am pretty sure I saw this movie at the time. I didn't see it in the theater. I'm pretty sure of that. But I probably saw it on home video when it was released. And I haven't seen it since then until... I rewatched it for this conversation. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. How could I possibly ever know to what extent things like this could have shaped an early James Corbett's thinking on things and the plausibility or implausibility of various plots? It's the, as you say, the predictive programming works on, well, at least two, maybe multiple levels. And one of which may be to prepare people in a way that they don't even know. And, Here's an example of that. So, specifically, I, I can go back and, and analyze various points in my life in which you know I've questioned various things and what have you. But specifically, what really caused me to start the the corporate report and doing what I do was in 2006. Specifically, was when I started coming across all this crazy information um, about 9 11, and then. Other subjects, you know, stumbled soon after as I as I went down the rabbit hole. But the question is, how did I ever even stumble into the rabbit hole? And really, quite specifically, as I talked about in an episode I did called uh, "Pricking the Filter Bubble," um, the reason I even started getting this information brought to my attention was because I was on YouTube back in that time, the Wild West of YouTube back 2006 when. All of this stuff was being recommended, and I would just occasionally click on something just because, oh, you know, that that looks fun, that looks silly, whatever. And that was ultimately, I think, really what started that ball rolling, at least at that particular time. And imagine if that algorithm had have been programmed slightly differently. So that wasn't brought to my attention. Or Hmm. imagine if uh, Google Video, which remember Google Video back when that was a thing back at the time? And I I, again, I really remember that, that time in 2006, every single day, the top 10 list of top 10 most viewed videos on Google Video would have seven or eight conspiracy documentaries and videos and Alex Jones movies and things like this. I mean, it was all over the place. And that was a big part of it. And I'm sure that had something to do with the fact that I became so interested in this and started stumbling down the rabbit hole. And I guess, if is there a meta conspiracy to make people into conspiracy theorists? And what would be the point of that? And I, again, I, there's a lot of speculation there that I don't have any definitive answers to, but I think are intriguing things to think about. And obviously, as it pertains to us in 2023, well, now there's a generation growing up that will not randomly stumb- stumble down rabbit holes because it is not being algorithmically fed to them on their mainstream platforms and so young children and teenagers and whatever growing up won't even know what to search for in order to find the things that they don't know about obviously and will mm-hmm. it ever be brought to their attention will they ever
1: find their way into the rabbit hole mm. very interesting I liked what you said there about is there a meta conspiracy to create conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Ah, uh, Michael Hoffman, a revisionist historian. The name definitely rings a bell. You, you know, you've reviewed. Uh, they live right, and you remember the yeah. Hoffman glasses. Yeah. Uh, Presumably, uh, the glasses okay. that everyone's on, they're mm-hmm. called the Hoffman glasses. Presumably, they're uh-huh. named after him. He's an American. I did not pick up on that. Yeah, and he has a theory called a concept that he calls revelation of the method. You mm, probably right, yes, that, right. And his theory of conspiracy theorists is that he doesn't say it's a meta conspiracy to cons- to uh, create conspiracy theorists. But what he says is that when we do our work and when we put our messaging out, we are actually doing the work of what he calls the cryptocracy by actually processing everybody else. We are putting the message out for them and desensitizing them to it and also getting them to think that it's crazy, just like Jerry is doing. Jerry is involved in that in the movie, making all of these things seem crazy so that everyone dismisses them.
0: Right. Yes. 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 I've definitely heard of revelation of the method. And my understanding of that is more to do with the, what we were talking about before of, um, one of the principles of predictive programming is to sort of desensitize people to information so that when it comes out, they're already understand it in a certain way. And I think, I think there is, undoubtedly some aspect of that. There is also the people who get into the sort of the more occultic mystical side of this and whether or not um, there is some sort of, you know, occultic rule that they have to tell you what they're going to do before they do it or something along those lines. And Mm -hmm. I think all of this is apt um, for exploration. Um, I'm not going to have any definitive answers to it, but I think part of, there's parts of all of that in this. And that might explain why there would be a, a Hollywood production Of something like conspiracy theory, because it's probably not just one thing from one perspective, one person trying to do one thing. There were probably people, for example, who really did want to insert some truth about MKUltra in a Hollywood movie. And oh my God, it's happening. Uh, Awesome. But there might have been people who were funding that along and helping it into existence for their own particular reasons, like revelation of the method or something else. It's not that every single person who works on a project like this is necessarily on the same page as to what it's meant to do.
1: Fair point. Very fair point. Um, so we're approaching the hour mark here. James, I don't want to take too much of your time. But while I've got you on the line, I've got to ask you about Canada. Even though I know you've been living in Japan a long time, I believe you still have family in Canada. You must be keeping your eye on Canada a little bit. right? Do you, do you follow Canadian politics at all? To the extent that I can stomach it, yes, which
0: is unfortunately these days not very much at all. But yes, I, I keep my, at least one eye on the
1: Canadian news feeds. Okay, well, I'm going to pitch you a softball here then. What, what are your thoughts on Justin Castro? <laughs> um,
0: well, hey, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, I'm Albertan. So um, we okay. never had any particular affinity for the uh, the Castro family um, <laughs> father father or son well I mean biological father or or presumed father right or son so okay. um, so I can just claim sort of genetic revulsion but um, mm-hmm. more specifically yes, uh, it's not that Obviously, it's not that I ever fell for the Trudeau deception. In fact, I interviewed Dan Dix about his Trudeau deception documentary back in the day, and I, it was just mystifying to me how there was any Canadian who would have thought that. Oh my God, you know, Canada's hope and change. Essentially, he was mm-hmm. he was Canada's Obama essentially at the time, and as if he was going to be some sort of savior. I can't believe anyone fell for that. But at any rate, I think I'm hardened to see that. I really do think that a lot of Canadians are sick, uh, sick and tired of Castro. So we'll see how that plays out in the next selection cycle but as people may or may not know i'm a voluntarist and i don't care about these four once every four year circuses that come into town and give people the illusion of some sort of control over the political process it is an illusion it's all a grand spectacle designed to distract people from the real centers of power and how power really operates in society and to give people the sense that it's it's your choice you get to choose and thus mm-hmm. you are to blame for the Castro's
1: of the political world. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, James. You just, you just uh, triggered my memory here. I, I was listening to you not long ago. You were on a show where you were talking about the immorality of elections or the immorality of voting. Am I remembering that properly? You were yes, making a more. Yes. Can you expand on that a bit?
0: Well, let's bring it down to brass tacks. Uh, there are uh, people have been deluded um, through propaganda, conditioning, and simply the status quo, to believe that there are people who have powers to do things and decide things that no one else can, simply by virtue of some magical incantation election process that gives them the, confers on them the rights to do things. So for example, if I come and take your money, that's theft, and I will go to jail, hopefully. Um, Unless, unless I say, uh, oh, but don't worry, I'm going to take your take your money against your will, but I'm going to give it to the homeless. So it's okay, guys. No, again, that's still theft, unless I'm the government, in which case it's taxation. If I come and uh, and say, okay, either you you pay me a certain amount of money each month, or I I lock you in this cage, that's extortion, and I would be charged as such. But if I'm the government, oh, that's just taxation. If I say, okay, that's it, you're going to go over there, and you're going to kill that guy. Well, that's a form of kidnapping, and Probably many other charges could be laid, but in, when the government does it, it's just conscription. Um, if 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 I murder someone, that's murder. But if uh, the if I do it on the government's dime, then you know that's warfare. That's that's fine. That's perfectly acceptable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the basic point is there is no actual magical incantation selection process ritual that can confer rights that I do not have onto somebody else to do in my name. Um, but somehow or other, we're deluded into thinking that because somehow at some point in the mists of time, some ruling oligarchs decided that they own this geographical space known as Canada and can decide what happens on it. Um, I call BS on that and I Mm -hmm. don't subscribe to that. And, um, so I want people to, to bring it down to the level of morality and what it is okay for themselves to do in their own daily life versus what it is okay to then confer on other people and how do those people get the the right to do what we
1: cannot do wow. beautifully said beautifully said i love it I, there's a lot to digest there but i think those are those are powerful ideas you just you just presented there james um, and a great way to end maybe a great way to end so uh I already mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you can be found at CorbettReport.com. Um, before we let you go, James, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? Anything you're working on? Maybe something that we can expect from you in the future.
0: Uh, a lot of stuff, as usual. I will say that at the time that we are recording this conversation, I am preparing to deliver a uh, a speech at the JFK Lancer Conference, which is a GF- JFK research conference that takes place in Dallas every year. I will not be in Dallas. I will be doing this virtually. But at any rate, I'm working on that. So I'm eyeballs deep in JFK um, research at the moment. So um, conspiracy theory was a pleasant diversion i suppose question mark but maybe not so much of a
1: diversion because as you say jfk was also all over this movie right nice well thanks for joining us james it's been a real treat and uh let's stay in touch let's do it appreciate it thank you thank you very much James.